Asia Pacific Currents. News and labor issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. This Saturday, the twenty seventh of March, the last Saturday in March, you're listening to Community Radio Three CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents, and I'm Giselle. I'm James, and I'm Pierre. So,、uh, welcome for another fantastic Saturday morning full of.、Uh News and updates. That's very hopeful, the- Pierre. I think we declare it fantastic at the end. How would we know before we even start if it's fabulous?、Um, well, because I know. not giving you any space at all, am I? Well, what's unusual about that, Giselle? <laughs>、uh, you know, as our listeners would know, there's a whole long, long history, but we shall not go into that. Otherwise, you know, James might get scared to come onto this、uh, program. I think he knows exactly what he's in for. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> But also, I was just going to say that thanks to Solidarity Breakfast for a very interesting program, and of course,、um, that piece of music I only know it only came up as Soul Constitution, so I'm not too sure if that was the band or the name of the of the song. So it, it sounded very nice. So it puts us in a very good mood, at least puts some of us in a good mood <laughs>、um, for this show, which、um, of course is brought to you every week, Giselle, by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on. On the web, all the w's dot a a w l dot org dot a u. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up on those social media platforms. And I, this will this will eventually, I think, become a running joke. But we are very very close to restarting the distribution of our mini news. We're a week closer than we were last Saturday,、um, but still not ready to go. We will we'll let you know as soon as that happens. Giselle, how about we just announce when it's ready? To go, I, I prefer this. this. I, I prefer, prefer the prolonged、yeah. anticipation, you know, and then and then you know it's just going to burst with、uh, perfectness when we finally launch. Build up and hype is important. <laughs> Thank all, you. All right, no no worries. And in the second half of the program, after our、um, news updates, we'll be have a bit of a chat about the、um, Israeli election and what it means for Israel and the Palestinian question or Palestinians in general. Um, so, I do want listeners to know there are a couple of stories that we are chasing. One is the、um, commemoration of Land Day, which was the twentieth of March.、Um, Land Day in Palestine, thirtieth of March. Thirtieth.、Eh? So, thank you, thank you.、Um, and then the、uh, other story, of course, Myanmar. So, if listeners are wondering why we've been silent on that question, we haven't quite been silent. But、uh, as I keep telling Pierre. I want us to. I want Asia Pacific currents to be able to look at that issue without the、um, sycophantic approach to Aung San Suu Kyi, which is a lot of what we see in the media reporting on Myanmar. All right, so we'll go to our news、uh, updates, and I've got the first one where we actually go very close to.、Uh, we don't actually have a story on Myanmar this week, but we've、uh, talked about it、uh, for the last two months every week. But we go to next door to Bangladesh, where on Monday of this week a fire started in the Balukali 
camp near the southeastern Bangladeshi town of Kots Bazaar, burning through thousands of shacks housing Rohingya's refugees. The Balukali camp forms part of the world's largest refugee camp. The fire is believed to have killed uh, at least 15 people, injured another 550 and left around 50,000 without any shelter. It is also estimated that there are another, four, there are another 400 refugees who are unaccounted for. There are now questions as to whether the firefighting equipment was adequate for such fires. While human rights activists are calling on the Bangladeshi government to remove internal barbed wire fences, which only made the rescue operation more difficult and may have contributed to the death toll by trapping people. Now, this refugee camp was the result of the genocidal crackdown by the military in Myanmar in 2017, and it's estimated to be holding a million people. Absolutely horrific, and um, for uh, although this this particular refugee camp is not within the purview of Australia and Australia's refugee movement, do want to remind people that tomorrow Palm Sunday is um, a refugee action, and we'll give you the precise details of that later in the show. Next up, we're going to go to Thailand, where more people have been arrested. Earlier this week, a demonstration outside the Royal Palace in Bangkok was attacked by the police using water cannon, tear gas and rubber bullets. Over 30 demonstrators were injured, while based um, on conflicting reports, somewhere between 20 and 30 activists were arrested. While many of the main organisers of the anti-monarchy and anti-military protest movement from last year have been arrested, the demonstrations over the last few weeks have been organised by newly formed activist groups who are organising despite the ongoing repression. And a thing to say about those new groups is that they are primarily young people in Thailand. So a new layer of politicised young activists. In another dispute last week, a clothing factory, Brilliant Alliance Thai Global, used the excuse of the COVID-19 pandemic to suddenly close and shut out its workforce of over 1,300 workers. The workers have established a protest camp outside the factory, demanding the wages they're owed to them, their unused leave payment, their severance and redundancy payouts. I will also say that Australia Asia Worker Links is a coordinator of an international alliance um, for the anti-military movement in Thailand and now Myanmar. Uh, We've organised a public meeting on April the 6th. Uh, It's on Zoom and it's at 6 o'clock. We'll post details to our Facebook page. We'll have speakers from right across uh, the world, but including a representative of this new emerging youth movement in Thailand. So it'll be very excellent, in my view, to, to hear those voices. That's right. To Turkey now, where political crackdowns are intensifying. This week, the government, the AKP government's attack on the main leftist opposition party, the People's Democracy Party, or Halke Demokrat Party, HDP, uh, escalated further by the opening of a court case that would indict it as being against the constitution. The current case is not only seeks out, to outlaw the HDP, but also specifies a list of, 600, of 687 individuals associated with the party that would also be subject to a complete political ban. Just a few days later, police arrested several officials of the HDP and issued warrants for another half a dozen, all accused of being terrorist sympathisers, mainly uh, towards the PKK or Kurdistan Workers' Party, which is a a known Kurdish party or Kurdish movement in uh, Turkey. In another show of force, the Turkish government this week withdrew from its 2011 Istanbul Convention uh, on the Prevention of Violence Against Women. 
This move is seen as both pandering to conservative forces in Turkey, who claim the treaty damages family unity and encourages divorces, as well as a new path to attack left-wing groups in Turkey. I find uh, that last um, story about uh, Turkey withdrawing, I mean, that was actually a treaty that was signed uh, in Istanbul itself just a few years ago, I find it. <laughs> yeah, but it's part of a movement that's across that region at the moment of towards traditionalism as being in, in targeting things such as, as these movements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we go to um, the Philippines where um, uh, there's more union busting going on. In mid-January of this year, the automotive part uh, maker Nexperia dismissed union activist and vice president of the Nexperia Philippines Workers Union Emily Berry for allegedly violating COVID-19 protocols. Now, what happened that uh, on the uh, in uh, on that day in mid-January, Emily requested a shuttle bus driver to fetch four workers in addition to the maximum 28 allowed under COVID-19 protocols, so they could be taken to work for their night shift. Emily said she asked the driver to do this as the night shift workers felt unsafe to stay at the dark pickup point at 9.30 in the evening in an area where robberies um, have been common. The union sees this as another um, uh, case of the nationwide trend in the Philippines to use COVID-19 to attack and dismiss union militants. The fight for the reinstatement of Emily Berry has now also been taken up by the Global Union Industrial. And moving now to Lebanon, where the political and economic crisis is deepening. In October last year, Saad al-Hariri was designated as a new acting prime minister in Lebanon in a renewed attempt to form a stable government so that it could address a deepening economic crisis. A government is yet to be formed. After, I don't mean to laugh. I apologise. A government is yet to be formed after five months, as the sectarian-based political parties continue to fight over the spoils of who should have control over which parts of the economy. In this period, the economic situation has continued to worsen, with currency devaluation, spiralling inflation, widespread electricity blackouts, petrol rationing, and more recently, shortage of food supplies. Meanwhile. The COVID-19 pandemic continues to spread unhindered, pushing the health system further into crisis. As a result, shops are closing down, panic buying is increasing with more instances of fights between customers over scarce shopping items. While current protests have not been um, in the scale of last year, demonstrations and protests are becoming daily events throughout the country. Uh, this this um, instability of government, but actually inability to form majority government, I think points to a broad political crisis. I think political crisis is a precursor to a pre-revolutionary period, if I dare say that, Pierre. And if we look at both Israel, Lebanon, and we'll see what happens with Iran, but um, the inability to form a majority government and rule, I think, is um, points to something in the region. Mm. Uh, finally to Indonesia where paper workers are striking over pay in a dispute that has been going on for almost a year around 450 paper workers at the PT Tanjung Inim Lestari Pulp and Paper or PTTEL went on strike last week to demand secure employment and an end to starvation wages all the workers are employed via subcontracting companies with PTTEL only offering a wage rise of, of 0.2% the workers have not had a wage increase for two years and last year, one of the, its picket lines was violently attacked by police. The dispute is ongoing, and Industria All, 
has initiated a global solidarity campaign. A wage rise of 0.2%. It's, yeah, it's astonishing. <laughs> All right, all right. Well, that's uh, we'll have to keep a lookout for that over the coming weeks and months. But that's the end of our news uh, roundup for the for the week. It's just about nineteen uh, thirteen past nine o'clock here on Asia Pacific Currents on your favorite community radio station, Three CR Radio. We'll go to a community announcement and we'll be back with a bit of a chat with the recent elections in Israel. Indigenous people in Australia and the Pacific have borne the brunt of nuclear testing. And this was not done unconsciously. We found documents in the British archives saying that, yes, there is uh, certain hazards, but only to primitive peoples, those that don't wear clothes and don't wash, unlike us British. So the sort of racism inherent in this whole operation was known and understood from the beginning that these were the casualties of a larger imperial policy and that they were able to bear the brunt because there were very small populations and didn't have much political voice. And as we fast forward to today, we see that same thing. 3CR, keeping you informed about Australia's nuclear past and present. At such a time, it's important to have a voice like 3CR, steady, constant, sane, and committed to a nuclear-free Australia. Australia is a crime scene. It's unfinished business, this crime. People don't understand that it was a military exercise. There was military in the first fleet. It was Captain James Cook. It was Captain Arthur Phillip. Right through the history of Australia, it's a military exercise. Our people have suffered greatly because the white man is not prepared to act honourably and legally. Still the case in this country today. This is 3CR. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. Sixteen minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents. Now, uh, Pierre and James, before we go into the discussion, there are a couple of announcements I want to make. And the first one is for those listeners, especially the old stalwart communists amongst you, you may or may not know that on the 25th of March, Comrade George Zangelis passed away. Um, George was a month away, a month shy of his 90th birthday. Um, His family and comrades have asked us to publicise the following information. Um, They're in in preparation. So prior to George's passing, um, the RTBU and the Greek community of Melbourne had organised a birthday party on the 25th of April at 2.30 
p.m. on that day and it was intended to obviously celebrate his birthday but now it's a commemoration of his life. Um, George, for those of you who don't know, was a former secretary for years, I think 40 years of the train, tram and bus union Um, but uh, this event will be commemorating his life, particularly his lifelong contribution to the labour movement and the Greek community and also um, for multiculturalism in Australia. And, of course, he was a communist and active in the 60s and 70s in this country. So when uh, before migrant workers and ethnic minorities had the the space in um, Australian society as it does now. The family and his comrades are asking for no flowers. What they're requesting is money to be put into the George Zangelis Memorial account to digitise and make public his ASIO file, which um, is a total of 12 folders uh, and each costs approximately $250. So they're wanting to digitise and make public those ASIO files. We um, will put all of these details up on our Facebook page so that um, you you can contribute. The other announcement I wanted to make was I, I've now got – so I, I spammed a bunch of refugee activists, Pierre, about five or six of them, and all of them, thank them, have responded with the details of Palm Sunday. So I just keep getting these beeps of what is happening. But the rally is tomorrow at 2 o'clock at the State Library. It is a march, so come prepared to march and, and uh, within – Uh, COVID safe rules, but uh, it is absolutely an occasion to march. That's tomorrow at 2pm at the State Library. Fantastic. Thanks for all those um, announcements. Uh, All right, so we'll go to our main news stories. And and, um, James, just to start us off, the Israeli election that was um, last week, it's the fourth one in in two years. there's lots of parties involved. Then, of course, the figure of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu just uh, uh, looms large over mm-hmm. it. Uh, what did the result show? Have we got a winner and loser? Uh, no, there's no clear winner. And uh, unfortunately for Benjamin Netanyahu, unfortunately for uh, as he would see it, uh, his vote has actually been eroded. And of course, he did this election because uh, he is facing corruption charges and he wanted to form a coalition where part of the coalition would be able to give him some immunity. Uh, that has failed. And the problem is that he doesn't have the 61 seats in a coalition that he needs from his natural, natural allies. And the two kingmakers, well, one of them is Naftali Bennett, who is opposed to him and wants to be in opposition. Uh, another is Mansour Abbas, who is uh, the leader of Ra'am, the uh, Islamist party, the Arab party. And uh, also there are the religious Zionists who will not have anything to do with any of the Arabs. Now, of course, when we uh, talk about usually about elections, there's, there's usually, you know, roughly a right and a left. But in Israeli politics, it seems that um, a lot of the opposition to Netanyahu is actually just as far right or even possibly even further to the right of him. It's, a, it's right, a, yeah. quite an incredible 
uh, political spectrum there. And there's no real left to speak of. You have Meretz and Labour, but they're really centre parties. And even in Israel, people don't consider them to be left-wing. The only thing that makes them left-wing in the eyes of, of Israeli society is that they are committed to a two-state solution. Um, the, that's right. The Netanyahu's opposition is hard right. So it's religious Zionists, it's, uh, it's ultra-Orthodox parties, and uh, also groups like um, Israel Beitanu, which is the, um, the Russian community's uh, main party. So in terms of, uh, I mean, obviously it just seems a lot of these elections are about personalities, about personal power of people, and especially Netanyahu that doesn't want to be uh, tried for corruption. Mm -hmm. But in terms on the ground, and especially the whole, I don't know, I'll call it the Palestinian question, but really the dispossession of Palestinians, um, what happens if Netanyahu loses and one of these other far-right comes in? Is it just going to be more of the uh, little slicing of a bit more land this year and a bit more land, a few more settlers? Absolutely. I mean, uh, with Meretz and uh, Labor, their main issue is that they would slow the settlement process. They wouldn't stop it. And they didn't win any significant proportion of the vote. They're in the parliament, but that's it. And you also see it amongst the Palestinian citizens of Israel. Their voter turnout is 50%. When you've got more than two-thirds of the Jewish population turning up and only 50% of the uh, Palestinian population turning up. Is that because they just think, oh, well, what's the point? Yeah, they, they don't see any point in, uh, in really voting. In, in relation to the, the Arab parties running in Israel, uh, is there any chance that they would win a majority and uh, is there an electoral solution to these settlements? Uh, there never has been an Arab party in the government of Israel, partially because there is a taboo. There has been flirting with it over the past 25 years and even Netanyahu has been visiting Arab communities, calling himself Abu Ya'er uh, and trying to get their vote. But that's Netanyahu. He seeks six votes from anyone, whoever they are. I, I also, the these corruption charges are, I, I mean, he's going to extraordinary lengths to avoid them. I, I, you know, Trump did, I'm sure any politician would. What are the consequences if the, the corruption charges stick for Netanyahu? Well, uh, politically, the consequences are people are now getting sick of Netanyahu. I mean, they're still voting for him, but there's this whole thing of BB fatigue. But he is facing uh, the prospect of actually going to prison because of the, cor- the level of corruption charges. So it is quite serious. But in terms, obviously, but really these elections are not just about uh, Netanyahu or about the whole of society. And from what you're saying, basically, whoever is in power, I mean, I think there's a few generals, ex-generals in there as well, the politics of Israel, the politic of dispossession of the Palestinians, the polity of domination over the region wouldn't change one bit? Well, it's, the momentum is getting, getting worse. And with generals, generally the parties that are considered left, which are generally centre parties, they choose generals to try and give them some right-wing cred. Uh, the movement towards settlements, the removement, removal of Arabic as a co-official language to Hebrew, the declaration of Israel as a Jewish state, all of these things that have happened under Netanyahu's prime ministership of the past 10 years, there is very little uh, prospect or no prospect of that being undone. In fact, it's more going the other way. Well, I, I mean, we're just in the closing minutes of the show, so I, I did want to move slightly to Iran. Oh, Pierre's got another question about well, I've Israel. I've got another, another question because, because this is about the Palestinian uh, issue. Is that there have been talk of, um, I, I won't say, the, the, 
a, a solution, a long-term solution for the uh, for Israel. In other words, annexation of mm -hmm. the whole West Bank. Mm -hmm. But of, and it's been talked quite openly, and and I think Netanyahu was actually very close at, of doing it. But of course, that brings a problem to the Israeli state: is that you incorporate I don't know two million Palestinians. So will will this issue now um, become much more of a, of a, of a discussion? Uh, like how to achieve greater Israel? They want to achieve it through well, not say, saying they Netanyahu and his faction want to achieve it just through annexation. The uh, Palestinian population of the West Bank is not going to accept citizenship, and they're not going to accept anything less than a Palestinian state. So they're quite happy to have them as a subjugated people within that uh, one uh, country between the river and the sea, as they call it. So that's really the future they're looking for, not for a peaceful solution that where everyone is equal, but uh, a, a subjugation of love it or leave it when it comes to the Palestinians of the West Bank. So what what are you trying to say? That there will be a greater Israel with millions of Palestinians who'd have no vote? No. Yes, uh, and uh, Netanyahu is not the only person in Israeli politics who wants to annex the West Bank. The, ha uh, the Haredi parties want this. They believe in that. Also, the, um, the religious Zionist parties are amongst the most extreme, and they have seven seats in the parliament, I believe. Go for it, Giselle. Well, so we are looking at an unstable or, or worse than unstable, an inability to form government in Israel. In the news, we talked about that situation in Lebanon, and we know that there's an imminent um, election in Iran. Will, based on history and the current political climate, will Iran be able to form a majority government following the election. Iran has the advantage of being a one-party state and they also have the advantage of an interior ministry that does all the counting of the votes. <laughs> I like that it's called a... Um Advantage, yes. <laughs> an advantage for so, whom, but yeah, I but, got it. But no, no, going on with that, instability is actually a source of opportunity in Iran and many politicians in Iran like that level of instability because it, and forming alliances and the rest of it because it gives them political opportunities. So we look at instability in Iran as being a problem. Iranians don't look at it that way. Iranian politicians don't look at it that way. So when is the election, by the way? It's in June 18. All right, so that's uh, plenty of time for lots of things to happen in Iran uh, before before then. So look, we do have one more minute, so I'll just go back to Israel and the Palestinian question. So is there, I mean, would there be actually talk among some of the far right in Israel to actually think, well, the problem then really becomes of the Palestinian question, the actual Palestinians themselves, is there talk of like expulsion? Uh, when you're talking about Smotrich and the uh, the religious Zionist parties, they would definitely consider that sort of thing as a solution because as far as they're concerned, under religious Zionism, God gave them that land. So anyone else there is doesn't belong there, uh, regardless of how long they've been there. Um, but uh, in terms of whether that would become into a reality, under a Biden administration, uh, it's it's more likely that Israel is going to be a little bit more constrained in what they can do, under, un, whereas under Trump they had Netanyahu at free reign to whatever yeah. policies he, ha he wanted. So we'll probably just see a continued slow annexation via settlements. Yes, and maybe an official annexation, especially now that uh, Israel has many of the Gulf Arab and other countries on side. Yep, yep. All right, well, thanks um, for that. We'll uh, certainly... Uh, keep an eye out and see if there's any new developments. But I think that's uh, it's uh, 29 past uh, nine o'clock. Actually, I got my what, my 
computer clock says 28 past. But the other oh, clock... And we're trained to go by the computer. But, of course, Pierre, coming up next is Palestine Remembered. Not sure if they're going to be discussing the Israel election, but stay tuned to that show, uh, one of the only shows uh, in community radio produced by Palestinians. So that's all that we've got uh, today. Thanks for listening to Asia Pacific Currents, brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links on your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio. So that's all for me, Pierre Morrow. Me, Giselle Hanna. And me, James Barry. And we'll be back uh, next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.